welcome to the Scottish podcast by Scottish people about Scottish things. We're three lifelong friends and displaced Scotsmen who get together to talk about our homeland, the weird stuff that happens there, and to remind us why we are the way we are. Welcome to This'll Do Nicely. Uh, but it's a funny place. People, there's good patter in Glasgow. Better than the comics on the stage. It's all over the place. And a, there's a guy came up to me in the street. Oh, I hope I can get away with this. It's a beauty. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he said, Do you a You know, in Scotland, they call me Biggin. And I'm not very big, but everybody has off a wee, you know. But he, he said, Do you hear about the one, the guy had done his wife in and that? And I said, No. He said, This guy was going out to meet his friend in the pub, and he went down. He said, oh, hello, how's it going? He said, fine, fine. He said, how's the wife? He said, oh, she's dead. He said, what? He says, dead, dead, dead again. Dead, I murdered her. <laughs> Forget it. She said, kidding me on. He said, no, no, it's morning. Dead. He said, look, I'm not talking to you if you keep on talking like that. He said, well, please yourself. I'll show you if you want. He said, no, show me. So we up to his tenement building through the close. That's the entrance to the tenement. <laughs> Into the back green, into the wash house, and sure enough, there's a big mound of earth. There's a bum sticking out. <laughs> he says, is that her? He says, aye. He says, would you leave a bum sticking out for? He says, I need somewhere to park my bike. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so good. <laughs> Uh, that was the the genius Billy Connolly, Sir William Connolly, on the uh, the Parkinson show, the British chat show back in 1975. Gents, Billy Connolly today. The big yin. What are your thoughts? The big yin. I'm excited about it. He's uh, it's great hearing that clip again. I mean, we all heard it for many years, right? But it's it's amazing that it's still it's still funny. It's great. <laughs> I'm looking forward to talking about him basically. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to having a little chat about him uh, for sure. Like he's, you know, he's someone that I'm. I don't know all his stuff as well as a lot of other people, but just from every time I see him on stage, he's absolutely infectious, and mm. his joke it's the it, it's the old adage, it's the way you tell them, and he just gets so much joy out of the way that he tells his jokes. Yeah, and uh, he's just. A delight. And he, I do and love that, that. It looks like he he's enjoying it as much as the other people are, and it's sort of it is totally infectious. And I think that's part of the appeal. Like you just want to hear more. It's brilliant. Just inherently funny within yeah. his soul, and just wants to share it with people. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, welcome everybody. Welcome to the This Will Do Nicely Pod. I am Rory. I am joined as always by Chris. Hello there. And Johnny. Hello. Today we are talking about the big young Billy Connolly. Um, he honestly, like, so he. I grew up with his comedy very much. Like, I, I realized researching this. I think this might one might be a bit of a problem this episode because, like, I enjoy researching everything that we do. I really enjoy like just digging into like the different topics that we do for this podcast. But this one has by far been my favorite. Just spending the past like week or two weeks just listening to. Billy Connolly stand up and listening to him tell stories has just been phenomenal. I just think every other topic afterwards is going to be a little bit disappointing, but (laughs) 
It's good to have a little love letter now and again to subject oh, matter. Oh yeah, we had we had we had to peek somewhere, you know. <laughs> I know. I'm going to try not to gush the entire thing, but his comedy was very much something that has been throughout my entire life. Like the. Uh, he was obviously started before any of us were born and we had videos of him when I was a wee boy growing up and we would wa- I would watch them over and over again. It was definitely stuff that we, I shouldn't have been allowed to watch if I was raised a different way. But <laughs> he, t- to your point, Chris, like the way that he kind of tells jokes, he's so charming, so lovable that I think like everybody from like we boys and we girls all the way up to like grannies and granddads love him and like no matter how much he's swearing or talking about like condoms or jobbies or shagging sheep everybody's just like ah oh, it's only billy connolly though yeah. you know? I, th- I think as well um even if he's got a very adult theme um i don't know if you guys remember but this has come up in a podcast before the kelvin grove art gallery um mm which is where the haggis uh, exhibit was from previous episode. <laughs> yeah. I just, or maybe if it wasn't Kelvin Grove, it was, it was um, uh, maybe the people's palace, one of the museums in Glasgow, but they had a Billy Connolly exhibit and he, he wore famously um, for routine banana peels, banana boots, banana yeah. boots. And that was the main thing. And I remember being very young and being absolutely enthralled by the banana boots. Uh, and, you know, I guess he has that sort of childlike quality about him as well mm. that I think speaks to every every single generation. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And like his, his fashion sense, I'm definitely going to talk about that in a wee bit because that becomes a big part of his personality and what like kind of shapes his personality. But so... The man who is Billy Connolly, Sir William Connolly, as he is known now, also known as a Biggin, which is his childhood nickname, which is how he was known in, in Glasgow growing up, where, which is where he's from. And then now people kind of get to know that that's how they know him as his, as his nickname, like I said. And he is Scotland's, definitely Scotland's biggest comedian potentially the most famous comedian from britain um he has won awards for being like the best observational comment comedian in the world um he is a famous actor writer he's done travel documentaries he's a musician he's just a phenomenal human being um and you know we, we, the reason that we're doing this is it's actually that this episode is going to be released on his birthday and we we don't want to make the same mistake twice do we uh after <laughs> no. missing out on Sean Connery's 90th birthday and still you know the warning signs were all there guys the warning it's signs a, were there it's a dark we, cloud over this podcast that we, continues to hang over us and it Apologies will never it will never be rectified we still haven't done the podcast in memoriam other <laughs> Other Scottish themed podcasts have already done memoriam episodes, and you know there's only so many uh, little blurbs at the beginning of episodes we can do. <laughs> uh, uh, apologising for our idiocy that we we didn't do him. So look, I the the reason that we're not doing Sean is because we want to do it right. I've started the research. That research has consisted solely of watching old James Bond <laughs> movies and The Rock so far. But I think that's a good start. Uh, we're gonna do it right. We're we better. We better hope that Billy Conley doesn't snuff it in the next twelve days. <laughs> God, I do think like so, so. Sean, Sean was upsetting, and you know he's a legend. And all that. If Billy, when like 
if like he's not immortal so when billy conley uh pops his clogs i'll be genuinely i might be a bit emotional he's uh he's such a phenomenal human being who's brought so much joy to like i think so many people that someone else gonna is be... gonna have to do that disclaimer you're not gonna be able to bring no. yourself to do it no i don't think i will oh man uh, so i'm glad we're doing it now <laughs> i'm happy and i've just watched like an incredible amount of his stand-up so all right so so his early life born 1942 24th of november in glasgow in anderson which is you know the west end you know it's near the mitchell library like charing cross you guys probably know it well um it's very fancy and trendy now but it was kind of rough and a bit of a slum back in the 40s um he was obviously like a war baby because the war was going on at that time um he was born to william and mary Connolly, and you know unfortunately like so many great people he didn't have a great childhood so he and his sister flo were raised um you know at least at the beginning by his aunts margaret and mona Uh, in paisley and that was after his dad had gone off to fight uh, in burma and then unfortunately his mum his mum who was you know a teenager left by herself in this like uh, you know pretty shitty part of glasgow back then uh, to look after these two kids and she actually just left um without the two of them and kind of went off with another man. It was when he was really young, right? Like, was he not only four or something? About yeah, him? yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, just a few years old. And so his his aunt started raising the two of them. And I think they were a bit... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, they, they didn't enjoy the fact that they were kind of saddled with these two kids. I don't think that was the setup, the life mm. that they had envisaged for themselves. Really. I, I, I also got the impression from listening to some of his stuff in the last week that he's very close to his sister yeah because he re- he name checks her like for setting him yeah. up for a, a, some jokes and things like that so he's clearly yeah. very tight there i think the two of them kind of looked after each other she especially looked after him like he's mentioned the fact that she would beat up other kids uh that would pick on him when he was a wee boy and stuff like that so i think it was you know the two of them kind of protected each other which was nice and so you had her but you know you, you can't really talk about billy because it's such a big part of his routine and, and his life and you know his his biographies and all that type of stuff without talking about like he, he did suffer a lot of abuse as a kid like his aunts were kind of physically and emotionally abusive to him and then when his dad came back from the war unfortunately his dad was um would physically and sexually abuse billy as well uh, and this was kind of something that he grew up with and didn't talk about and it obviously affected him emotionally and, and psychologically for a long time and it wasn't really until he met his like wife much much later on pamela uh, stevenson and after his father died that all of this kind of came out and um i do think it was kind of shaped a lot of the problems that he had in the 70s and 80s but you know the way he talks about it now he's obviously dealt with it in an incredibly mature way but um yeah it was a shame it's a shame that he had to go through that but you know remainder of his childhood they they eventually they lived in paisley for a while they moved to drum chapel for a bit he went to school and he talks about being like raised by uh you know catholic nuns and getting beaten in school as well but he eventually graduated school at 15 with well the story goes and this is the thing with billy is that so much of his stand-up and his interviews he 
tells jokes and he tells stories and mm. a lot of it is potentially lies. So he says that he, he graduated with two engineering qualifications, but one of them actually belonged to a boy called William Connell. So he had one to his own name and one to a guy who had a very similar name. And like so many Glasgow boys at the time, he left school and then ended up working in the shipyards. He was a welder, tried to be an engineer, but ended up in the wrong line, ended up as a welder and was in there until he was about 24 and at the same time, you know, around 1972, he also joined the Territorial Army, which he talks about a fair amount. Like he was in the Parachute Regiment and all that kind of stuff. I don't think he enjoyed it. I think he just did it to make himself seem a little bit more interesting. It's also like you can tell how much of that life experience has like influenced the way he tells stories on stage or like runs routines and things. Like it all, I mean, obviously not a very easy upbringing, but like things like you know his relationship with the family and then like working in the mm-hmm. hardship yards like a lot it's amazing that a lot of that comes back in like actually quite joyful ways because of the way it's like influenced yeah how he is as a comedian and like like you said as well rory that um you're never sure what's true and what's not it's this is very similar to a lot of um people that you find in the pub in glasgow yeah um, that you can find at a bar um that just telling stories and glaswegians especially are very good at telling stories <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Billy is just the best at it and is the funniest at it. So um, I I think that's also why he's so popular because everybody's kind of like, I kind of know a Billy. Like, you know, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know one as funny as Billy, but like every, every everybody has a Billy. Yeah. yeah. He, yeah. He tells the stories he takes. And I do think it's a very definitely a Glaswegian thing. I think also a Scottish thing is to take the, the pain and the hardship and the struggles and, find the comedy, find the humor, find the mm. jokes in it. And that's what he's done with so much of his life. And he continues to do it now, which is phenomenal. But um, I mean, he says that he always wanted to be funny. He wanted to be like a comedian since he was like 10 years old. And, uh, you know, it was things like he would fall over in school and he'd fall into a puddle and everybody would be laughing at him. And he would just kind of splash around uh, in the puddle uh, letting other people laugh at him because he just enjoyed that humor, the the shared kind of camaraderie of it. I heard him talking about. I listened to his old uh, Desert Island Discs this week, where oh, if nice. people don't know, it's like a radio show where they interview famous people and they talk about the five records they would take to Desert Island. And um, he was talking about the kind of early days when he was playing music and stuff. And he, he sort of accidentally got a laugh because he'd forgotten words to a song. And he, you could, he's, it's really interesting when he talks about it because he's like, he obviously felt the power of that. He was like, oh, there's, there's something yeah. in this. And it's really lovely hearing him speak about almost like stumbling upon that a bit, but then like realizing that he had sort of a gift to like get that out of people. And he just kind of kept going and turned it into like a story that night. And uh, it's actually a really nice little taste of him because he's quite opportunistic about that in a way yeah i think you're completely right i think that's what it was like he he, as a wee boy he wanted attention he wanted to be someone sort of fancier and he keeps on talking about being like windswept and interesting uh that's the phrase he goes to all the time and i think you know because glasgow's kind of gray he was in the the like slums of glasgow it's he was in the shipyard which is like as much as it's vibrant and lively and and interesting it's still kind of like industrial and hard and i think he just had 
had in his soul this this need to be somebody that was a little bit more flamboyant and a little bit more peacocky so he got like a bit of money from the, the working in the shipyards and so he started buying like fancier clothes and fancier suits and all that sort of thing and then he went to the edinburgh festival and saw this guy that was like all hairy he was like a hairy folk singer um with like long hair and a beard and he was like that's that's amazing that's what i want to do like he he heard like american folk music for the first time and he heard the likes of like pete seeger and it was just like this is this is amazing because pete seeger i don't know if you guys know him he's a very sort of um he sings about the unions and for the working class and the working man activist singer i guess Mm. musician um and that's kind of style that he does um but he plays a banjo and so Billy went out and bought himself a banjo at the Barras. The, uh, uh, the the instrument of the working class. Exactly, right? <laughs> I, just, um, I love that bit. Like, the idea that you, you hear a banjo in a song, you're like, oh, that's, that's the one for me. It's like so, such an me. obscure instrument. <laughs> I want to get the most complicated string instrument possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't, he didn't know how to play it. And, like, nobody... It wasn't like in the day where you could just Google like, okay, where do I, where do I play, where do I learn banjo in Glasgow? So he went up to the tourist information desk, and again, this is according to the standout. But he went up to the tourist information desk and went like, where can I, uh, where can I learn the banjo? And the woman just like uh, looked at him like he had four heads, and was like, <laughs> went digging around their drawers, and was like, well, there's a music hall down there, go and ask them. And so it was like. He went and learned a bit of banjo. He eventually told the story about going to this guy who lived in a tent inside his living room because he couldn't afford to pay for the heating. And he was like surrounded by sausage dogs. And he tells this amazing story of like, um, he the guy has like four sausage dogs and one of them's a, a, a girl dog. And it's like, oh, every time she's in heat, I just need to put her upstairs. And he's like, well, that's terrible. Like, aren't the other ones like the boys just going to go up the stairs and grab them he's like yeah but have you ever seen a dash hound try to go upstairs with an erection it's <laughs> like, a very very good point <laughs> can't get past the first step <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly for a little guy he becomes a musician it's, this is around like 1968 so it's the swinging 60s, he's very hippie, he's a bit of a dandy, he's wearing his fancy clothes, he's got his banjo, and he marries um, Iris Pressy, or Pressa, uh, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce her name, it's P-R- P-R-E-S-S-A-G-H. He eventually has two kids with her, but um, the the entire time he's with her, he's becoming primarily a folk singer. Uh, like you said, Johnny, Like that's kind of what where he started. And he was touring around Scotland with his mate Tam Harvey and uh, Jerry Rafferty. And Jerry Rafferty, you guys might know from like Steeler's Wheel, you know, he did like Baker Street and Stuck in the Middle with You, those types of songs. Like he, he ended up becoming like a huge musician. And, and Billy was always very much like, yeah, he was the star. Like, he had music in his bones. I just played a bit of the banjo and sang like an idiot. Um, <laughs> but they had a band called the Humble Bums, and they did pretty well. They, they had, like, three albums. I listened to a bit of it, and it's, like, nice folk music, kind of Scottish folk music. But I can't get over the fact that it's Billy singing. Like, his <laughs> his voice is so distinctive that it just, like... Even when he's singing about something fairly seriously, it just sounds funny. <laughs> I um, could imagine it sounding a bit like a sort of Scottish Bob Dylan. Just yeah, that yeah, I think slightly raspy, quite hoarse. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, fits the bill, doesn't it? Ah, yeah. that was it. <laughs> <laughs> the humble bums 
named because apparently they were on stage at one point and they just said something along the lines of like, well, I'm humble and he's a bum and that's how the name stuck. So, but then, yeah, so they broke up in 1971. Uh, I think, you know, there's different reasons why they did it. They talk about it for different reasons. Like um, Jerry Rafferty was going off to do his own thing. But one of the other things is apparently that Billy was just pissing about with a joke so much that Rafferty was <laughs> kind of annoyed and was like, I'm, I'm kind of done, done with this. You guys. I think that's what you call creative differences, is it not? Yeah, exactly. I've got a bloody good saxophone song that I want to do. <laughs> get out my, get out my face, Connolly. Well, apparently, stuck in the middle with you, you know, um, clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, is about Billy Connolly because right. he was just so fed up with the jokes. Wow, and that's where he's like, I'm stuck in the middle with you. So he goes solo, uh, and again, he's still just being a folk musician, but he starts telling more stories in between his songs and more jokes and people and his his agent as well start commenting about the fact that the jokes and the stories are way better than his singing and his playing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so a year after the Humble Bums split up, uh, it's like 1972, he does Billy Connolly Live, which is one of his first albums. And you can see it, it, you can get it, on dvd you can get it online all that sort of thing um very very popular in scotland and then 1973 74 i think it was recording three release in four i'm not sure the 100 percent of the day he does billy Connolly's solo concert and this is the, these two are really good examples of what he was doing at the time which was like playing his banjo singing like some like straight up folk songs telling wee stories and then switching to like comedy songs and then switching to like entire like stand-up portions of it he would like put the the banjo or the guitar down and yada yada but solo concert is where he does well first off he does a wee jobby um joke <laughs> which is talking about british rail a jobby in the toilet in british rail <laughs> So you close the lid, and you go to walk out, and then you say, oh, wait a minute, and you go back and have a wee look, just to see that it's away, this wee jobby, because there's nothing worse in this world. If you've travelled in British Rail, you'll know this. There's nothing worse than going into a toilet, locking the door, turning round and finding that there's a wee jobby <laughs> somebody else's. <laughs> British Rail's terrible for that. So you flush and flush and it won't go away. She so tried to batter it to death with paper towels. And it still won't go away. This wee beige jobby. This wee smiling thing. And you don't want to bury your bum to it. I don't know why, it's not going to bite you. But you don't want to. And you can't leave. Because if you go to leave and there's a guy outside, you can hardly say honest to me, it's not mine. And then he also does the crucifixion story. And the crucifixion ah, story is huge. Yeah. You guys remember this one? I've got an anecdote to uh, uh, tell uh, about the crucifixion story, actually. If you, 
if if you want to if you want to give the context to the crucifixion trial, I mean the context is purely the fact that like the the Bible was misprinted, um, that Jesus wasn't actually born in Galilee; he was born in Gallagate, and the Last Supper happened in a pub in Glasgow, and that's essentially it. And it's a phenomenally funny joke, excellent, but it was hugely controversial at the time as well. Right. Like, okay, so I'm going to interject here. So I asked um, my uh, my mum. If she could, she tells this story from uh, years ago of when she saw Billy Connolly, and I, it's always stuck with me because she always gets such joy out of it. And um, I think this has come up before that I think all three of our mums are are big fans of Billy Connolly. I know certainly mm-hmm. mine mine is. Um, uh, I asked her if she could either record it in a WhatsApp message or just send it an email, and I don't think she knew how to record it. Sadly, <laughs> but so she sent <laughs> she sent me an email. Um, which was that she said, um, we went to see Billy Connolly in the 70s. He'd become. You, so you're not going to do your Maureen impression? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> no, she's just going to get annoyed with me. Um, he, he'd become well known for his controversial humor, including a monologue on the crucifixion where the Last Supper had taken place in the Saracen's Head, the Sari Heat in Glasgow, and the carryouts were on Judas because he'd just come into some money. <laughs> <laughs> She said that you uh, had to fight your way into the theatre because at the time, Pastor Jack Glass, who was a very um, uh, famous, controversial figure at the time, him and his supporters were outside the theatre demonstrating against this blasphemy, basically. Um, yeah, yeah. Pastor Jack Glass was apparently well known in Scotland for calling the Pope the Antichrist, <laughs> which ties into certain other themes in Scotland mm. that we won't get into right now. Yeah. But of course, this demo then played right into Connolly's hands and he mocked the pastor relentlessly all through the routine. And uh, she says that her friend that she was with, uh, who she describes as a very elegant lady, uh, and her were a mess when they came out because they literally had mascara running down their faces and their cheeks were sore <laughs> from laughing so much. Um, so that's I mean, it's the back of that. Ruined. Yeah, it was that, that, that was huge. Absolutely huge, this joke. The whole stand-up was brilliant very worth it but the crucifixion one was like they would talk about it in churches they would say that you cannot go and buy this album like it is blasphemous blah 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 blah. it was banned from certain areas and you know we talked about this in our grand theft auto episode anytime you get good controversy uh, and it's not like you've done something terrible it's only good press for you and so he he became huge and he was massive after this and in, specifically in Scotland he hadn't really broken into Britain and this was like this was it he kind of gave up on the music and he became he was like I'm going to be a stand up you know we we we've touched on it a wee bit and before I get into the next thing but we touch on to like you know when he gets into his comedy that's where he becomes Billy Connolly and and at the time other comedians were kind of like racist and sexist it was a lot of like you know oh take my wife please take her type of jokes and they were all kind of buttoned up and just telling jokes whereas billy Connolly was up there doing you know some people say it's like alternative comedy before it was alternative comedy he was doing a lot of observational stuff um telling these stories and just you know like we spoke about like enjoying other people laughing with him Mm. uh, instead of trying to be clever or trying to be offensive or anything like that. And he wanted to be, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to be different. Um, But also he wanted to kind of spread 
Scotland around Britain and the world, but not the the only version of Scotland that was around at the time, which was like the whole Roman and the Gloman, as he called it, like shortbread tin Scotland, like tartan trousers and woolly jumpers singing on top of a hill type thing. He was like, no, Scotland's so not that. It's our our <laughs> podcast, basically, yeah, <laughs> right, okay. So he gets booked on Parkinson. Um, so the show that we played at the beginning of this episode. And Parkinson at the time was massive. He is... It's like David Letterman. Yeah, exactly. Best way to describe it. Just like chat show host would get all the famous people on, talk to him, yada, yada, yada. Billy Connolly wasn't really known outside of Scotland. And he was on this and he told that joke and again exploded around Britain. This is where he just, like his career really took off. You know, from here, he was like touring Britain. He toured the US with Elton John. He had like comedy cover songs. He he did In the Brownies. Do you guys remember In the Brownies? It was a piss take of um, In the Navy. And it was, In the Brownies, <laughs> we will bend over because like, it's okay, why worry? Uh, that sort of thing. He's brilliant and then he did uh, he got a number one with d-i-v-o-r-c-e which was a cover of it's like a country like a kind of country yes exactly yeah but he did a kind of dirtier version of it obviously but he was on like top of the pops and things so what he was like a weird al yankovic type figure before weird al yeah he had like it seemed like about three or four songs uh in that vein um, but he was still doing his stand-up as well, and he was in a couple of films and TV shows and all this type of thing. Personal life-wise, he met his second wife, Pamela Stevenson, who I mentioned earlier, towards the end of the 70s. Uh, she was a host of Not the Nine O'Clock News was when they met. And she's she's brilliant as well. Like She's a very, very interesting person. She was, like I think, born in New Zealand, raised in Australia, and then she became a comedian. She was on SNL. She was in Superman 3. She has a brilliant IMDb photo, which is very 80s hair. But she's now a psychologist. She got her doctorate in psychology, um, which I'll kind of get on to later because she does a very interesting show. When he meets her, he's still married to Iris, his first wife, but things were coming to an end already. He was already touring. He eventually properly separated from her in 81. They got divorced in 85 and then he married Pamela in uh, 89. But like I said, like late 70s or mid 70s into the 80s, like he became huge. And I think fame was hard on him. So like his childhood, his poor upbringing uh, on top of this like I don't want to say overnight success because he worked hard for it over a long time, but like this sudden, like incredible amount of success uh, kind of hit him hard. And I think like so many other celebrities at the time, especially, he got hardcore into like booze and cocaine. And he was doing a lot of touring, doing a lot of drugs. And I think, you know, like he was, I was reading something. He was out with Keith Moon the night before Keith Moon died. Wow. Like, so, so they were out partying billy Connolly got on a flight to go to a gig in australia he was like working in australia and he arrived in australia and saw the news of keith moon being dead it was like so imagine bananas. going boozing with keith moon and then getting on a you know flight to australia the next day that's pretty yeah. brutal hangover isn't it <laughs> and there's like stories of like um elton john brought him to a studio to let him listen to a new album and they like turned around for a moment and Billy Connolly like passed out in the studio and they went in to try and like get him up and he was like I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine I'm totally fine he was just like he was so out of his face 
that he was like blacking out a point. So it seems like you know if he hadn't met Pamela and he talks about it a lot. Like if he hadn't met his second wife, he would have been in a much he would have gone down the path of Keith Moon potentially, uh, or or so many other people that did do that sort of thing. And so like mid 80s he was teetotal and he has been ever since late 80s sorry late 70s early 80s again like i said his career kind of continues to grow he was in the secret policeman's ball do you guys remember that like i think it's still around these days yeah i I think the i may have gone dormant for a while but i remember it became a thing again a few years back and i think amnesty international ran it they're they're yes so it's like a charity comedy show that would happen annually. Uh, it was started by you know a couple of people, but pri- primarily the Pythons, the Monty Python crew, did a lot of it. It like started Rowan Atkinson's career, um, mm. you know, Mister Bean, all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but Billy was invited to do it in '79, and he was the first non-Oxbridge comedian to perform. He, I, I don't remember what like the comedy group is in Oxford and Cambridge, but it was like all the Monty Pythons went to... Isn't like, it called uh, the the light, the foot, the Footlights or something like that? Yeah, I think you're right. Like It's something like that. So like it's this. like everybody everybody who was like funny and famous in Britain at the time was there and Billy was one of the first people to kind of break out of that and become something a little bit different. So he did that, and I, I, you know, through the eighties, he was on TV. He was doing a lot of stand-up. Obviously, he had three kids with with Pamela. He recorded a bunch of specials, and these are the ones that I remember growing up. Like we had them on video. It was um, Billy bites your bum? An audience with Billy and Albert. He did a bunch of like uh, movies in the nineties. That's when he became like stratospheric i guess he in the sense of like he was in a bunch more movies more specials he had his like best of 25 years special that's when he started breaking into america as well where he did his hbo special with uh, i think it was an interview it was not an interview it was like invite from whoopi goldberg and this one i re-watched this one as part of the research and he's so charming and i just always get the the idea that in like the early 90s the american audience would be shocked by this but he was talking about shagging sheep and he's like uh in scotland they say if you're gonna shag a sheep take it <laughs> take it to the edge of a cliff so it pushes back better and it's just like <laughs> it's such a good joke and it's just a throwaway line that he has so yeah he does that and like this is like he does five week, twenty five day sellout run at London's Hammersmith Apollo. Like he was just phenomenal, superstar, like, rock star comedian at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you, what kind of like what kind of stuff did you remember as a kid? Because this was like peak. This is I'm at like the late nineties here. Um, what kind of stuff did you guys watch? Do you remember growing up with? I actually don't remember loads of it. I mean, I. I always, it's easy to go back to that Parkinson thing because it's, I mean, ever since then, it's sort of been seen as like this pivotal yeah. moment that sort of turned them into a star. And, and whether that's true or not, I don't know. I did hear it. He talks about that even and saying like his manager at the time was a bit like, please don't tell that joke. <laughs> like just <laughs> yeah. do, whatever you do, don't tell it. And he, I think I love that he just is like, he can't help himself. Uh, and it obviously had an amazing effect. But yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I haven't watched it in a while, to be honest. And I'm not. I don't know. What about you, Chris? Uh, yeah, I 
uh, Rory, I don't think I'm kind of at the same level as you are. I mean, it's this is kind of a nice episode, but also a bad one because I'm not feeling like I need to interject because I just kind of want to listen to you talk to, <laughs> yeah. talk about him because I really do like him, but at the same time, I don't think I could like reel off a whole bunch of jokes and stuff. Um, yeah. Um, you it, know, it, I watched I watched a few clips last night and he had some great ones, but I think that was some of the later stuff I was watching. Um, yeah. Over the last sort of uh, 10, 15 years. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I, I, you put me on the spot a little bit, but like, no, no, it's just I mean, nice that's... listening to you talk about it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, I don't think I quite realized how much, like, how much of an impact he had on me or my life until I was watching it and, like, the nostalgia kind of came back. And, like, I was saying to Johnny the other day, like, there's even things, like, things that he was saying I would hear in, like, the way that my my mum would tell jokes or my mum would, like, try and be funny as if she'd, like, learnt a little bit. Your mum, her delivery and the way that she talks is very similar to Billy Connolly. She's very droll and... Yeah. uh, She talks quite slowly and, and then also pauses for comedic effect when she's telling <laughs> stories as well and but they but it's very but silly she, as well but, but she knows him right doesn't didn't she well yes so yeah so, the, so there's a few they met a few times um so she was um used to be a costume designer and she met him during the humble bum years and then on a couple of other like he he played at a theater that she was working at and i met him once with her through family friends when I was very very young I was in primary school so you know maybe nine years old but I do vividly remember it I just remember having having a yo-yo playing with a yo-yo in the living room while the adults talked around me and then Billy asking like what it was I was playing with and then having a go at it being a bit crap at it and then me showing off my yo-yo skills <laughs> to so Billy you've, Conley. So you've actually met him that's kind of crazy. Yeah yeah it was one of those like 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 and it's one yeah it, and i but i was i remember going into school the next day and being like i met billy Connolly. i fucking met billy Connolly and blah, blah blah and being crazy excited about it um i haven't seen you do any like yo-yo tricks recently obviously i didn't have that big an effect on you so i retired might... that day all right that was it the peak that was it he was <laughs> yep. he was better than you and you just thought what's the point <laughs> Well, he's a you know he's a Renaissance man. He's <laughs> he's good at so many different things. Like, of course, he's good at yo-yo. Yeah, but and that and that's the thing. I said, brilliant segue, Chris. <laughs> he is a Renaissance man. So, like the the nineties into the noughties, like he starts doing like traveling shows. He writes books. His biography comes out. Like I said, like his his wife and I remember reading this when I was younger. Billy comes out, which is a book. Uh, written by his wife which was you know very revel like not revolutionary revelatory about his life and uh, his childhood and all that sort of thing and it was great he he becomes this like kind of megastar and like he's in movies like the you know the, the movies that we've seen him in are, are the ones that people might remember him from is the likes of like muppet treasure island boondock saints he starred in his own movie, The Man Who Sued God. My, my wife did ask if uh, we were going to talk about Boondock Saints during this episode. She's a massive, massive Boondock Saints fan. Yeah, it, I. It's fine. A lot <laughs> of people love it. I, I. It's in Boston, isn't it? It's like Boston Irish, so that might have something to do with it. It might be a New England is that what thing. It is? Also, it's got Daryl from The Walking Dead in it. You know. Yes. So. 
but yeah, uh, but ten year old Daryl, she's Conley she's a big man. she's a big Bin Dogs fan. So glad we took that yeah. one off. No, it's uh, I mean it's a it's a good movie. But the, the, the one, as... sorry, the one that no. uh, he kind of like gets him on the map as an actor. Those um, it's Mrs. Mister Brown or Mrs. Brown. Mrs. Brown. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. And this is not anywhere near comedic it's very it's about him being a guard for the queen i can't remember the the time period but it's yeah queen, it's, queen, very, it's queen victoria isn't it yes yeah. and it's very it's a dramatic role he's brilliant and he gets nominated for a bafta all that sort of thing but his film choices are always kind of a bit all over the place like he did he did that which was Genuinely a good film. Uh, highly recommend it. He did The Last Samurai with, with Tom Cruise. Jesus, I don't remember him in that. Really? No. He, I think he dies at the beginning. He dies in a lot of films. He's <laughs> in Lemony Snicket with Jim Carrey. He dies in that. I, I was I was watching an uh, interview he did with Conan O'Brien uh, where he references that he was in Lemony Snicket. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I forgot about that. Lemony Snicket's, <laughs> Lemony Snicket's awful. So, it's a pretty you know. forgettable film, so <laughs> yeah. it's fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and but most recently he was in like Brave. He was the voice of I think the dad in Brave. Again, Brave is awful. I hate that film with a passion. Do you? Yeah, I hate it. Really? I think Why? it because it's it everything in it. It's just like how many crappy Scottish stereotypes can we crowbar <laughs> into a film? And the only thing that has any sort of saving grace is in Wreck It Ralph two. When they have the scene with all the Disney princesses yeah, and yeah. the brave princess is in there and she comes in like, hey, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, and all the prin- all the other princesses are like, we can't understand anything she's saying. <laughs> That's the only thing that saves it for me. Otherwise, I I hate that film. It's bizarre. I mean, I just I think it's just a fun romp. It's not a fun you know? romp. Not for me. <laughs> you're more of a frozen girl. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I would imagine there's some there's some Norwegian guy out there being like, Frozen gets everything wrong about our country. <laughs> He's bullshit. What's wrong, what's yeah. wrong with your voice? <laughs> he's so angry he can't talk anymore but yeah so he's been in a bunch of films and then so pamela like i said that she she was a comedian when she was younger uh when they met especially then she she went back to school she got her doctorate in psychology and she started she, she hosts a show called shrink rap which is essentially interviewing celebrities Almost like they're on the the psychologist chair and you know diving into their their thoughts and their minds and their emotions and all that type of stuff. I've only watched the one with Billy so far, but you know she's got a bunch of people that she does different in, uh, episodes with, and it seems interesting if the Billy one is anything to go by. But the Billy one is really fucking weird. Like it's good, and you get to hear a lot, and like he's great in it, and so is she. But can you imagine like? Like Chris, you imagine your wife sitting you down and like psychoanalyzing you. Well, my mum like, did that my whole life. She's a psychologist. That's a good point. Yeah. It would be. Oh my god, that's why I find it weird. I was having flashbacks to your mum. That was it. That was all it was. Every yeah, every come and single... sit on the sofa. No, I'm okay. <laughs> why do you think my mum asks so many questions? That's true. God. Yeah. yeah, that might be it. No, but it it's like. The whole thing's like, it's just fascinating because they're talking about like, you know, really dark moments about his childhood and like his troubles with a drink. And then like two minutes later, 
like they're talking about their sex life and then she says like in all seriousness like well you you have had you and brussels sprouts do have a history with like a really serious <laughs> look in their face and i'm just like i don't know what's a joke and i don't know what's real here yeah. it's a confusing interview like because their husband and wife is, and he goes into it right from the very beginning like this is fucking weird like what are we doing here but yeah he's so open as well like he doesn't yeah. shy away from any topic like even in that radio show he, he just talks really frankly about his upbringing it's, there's no like hiding it it's just like well this is no what happened and then he sort of yeah this it's that slightly unnerving thing where then he's joking about a thing the next sentence you're like oh wait a minute where are, where are we <laughs> yeah so this is the thing, like, and, and it's, again, it's a good way to lead into, like, unfortunately, later on in life, he doesn't tour anymore, he doesn't do stand-up anymore, and the reason for that is be- that he's been diagnosed with Parkinson's. And so the story is that um, he was sit- literally sitting in a hotel bar, and a fan came up to him and said, like, excuse me, I'm a, a doctor, and I'm a massive fan, but you're displaying signs of early onset Parkinson's disease. You need to go and see your doctor when you get home. And like 2013, that's when he announced that um, he, you know, had, uh, I don't know. I think it was just early stage Parkinson's disease at the time. 2015 was his last tour and he announced his retirement in 2019 that he's no longer, no longer going to be touring. And that's the weird thing. So he's not touring anymore and he is, struggling with getting older and having this debilitating disease and he talks about these serious things and he talks about his childhood but because he's such a funny bastard (laughs) that everybody still laughs at everything he says he's on these interviews and he's trying to talk about something serious but it's billy Connolly, and you just think like he's Mm. just such a lovable human being that i just want to laugh at what he says it's bizarre seeing him with like studio audiences or, or, or these interviews with people that just laugh at nothing just because he's Billy Connolly. Yeah, but amazing. also he can't help himself as well. Like That's I, true. I, I, I did yeah. the, the Conan interview I watched where he tells that story because he said um, he Conan brings it up and says, you know, have you been diagnosed with Parkinson's? And he says, oh, yeah, the, the last time I was on this show was was when that incident with doctor in the hotel happened and he said that he'd been promoting lemony snicket at the time and he went and got diagnosed for it and i i I can't remember what the joke is now though but he does finish off with a joke at the end and Mm. conan you know i don't know if you guys watch conan much but like when he like it's really tickled by a joke he like full-on kind of collapses and guffaws it's like yeah there's always a punchline it's just what comedians do like they yeah you know it's uh whether it's a defense mechanism or whether it's just you know trying to lighten the mood or whatever and it's a very serious sad and horrible thing parkinson's but you know if you're gonna just dwell on it and get depressed about it then yeah fair play to him that at least well at least publicly he's putting a brave face on it i don't know what he's how he's dealing with it behind the scenes but um i hope he's i hope it's not kind of destroyed him too much and it's such a horrible well, disease he had a he had an amazing moment last year where he was in a documentary and he said again fairly flippantly that he was slipping away and everybody just freaked out about it and was like oh it's so depressing he's dying blah blah blah, blah. and he had to release this video of himself like sitting on his porch playing the banjo being like i'm not dying i'm not slipping <laughs> away i'm still alive i'm fine 
and he basically was meaning that like he's just getting older like his like you know his eyesight slipping away his ear mm. uh, his his hearing slipping away like all that sort of thing he's just becoming an old man and he's enjoying it, it to a, in a sense like every day's an adventure but like tells you how like universal the love for him is as well right you know any hint of him you know getting old or fading it's like there's like total universal worry amongst fans yeah it's kind of amazing yeah well i and and that's the thing like so johnny you're so good at the segues you're welcome so he he's been awarded with so many things throughout his life because of how universally loved he is and he's like he's got Honorary doctorates, and this is only some of them, but honorary doctorates from Glasgow Uni, RSAMD, so the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama, and from Strathclyde Uni, which if he's... So, so he, I, I mentioned the fact that he's Sir William Connolly, Sir Billy Connolly. So if he's a, got an honorary doctorate, does that make him like Sir Dr. Biggin? Is that what he is now? Is that his full title? Must be. <laughs> Sir Dr. Biggins. <laughs> There is actually an official term. I know you're making a joke, but there is a way to do it. And I, I can't remember what it is, but I think it is something like Sir Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Sir. Yeah. He's got a bunch of Lifetime Achievement Awards. He's won, obviously, like I mentioned, like a bunch of Best Comedian Awards. Uh, he was knighted in 2017. That's when he became a Sir. How was he only knighted in 2017? I mean, seriously. What was going yeah, on there? He got, he got like, you know how there's different levels of it? You can get like an OBE before you get knighted. He got something else. Yeah, it's not like getting your like yellow belt in karate though. Like if you're like really, <laughs> if you're really good, you can skip to the front. <laughs> <laughs> yes, true. You don't need to go up through the ranks. Yeah. Uh, he, do your yeah, he do did. your CBA test. That's not how <laughs> no, it works. the problem was he never completed the Duke of Edinburgh Award, so they were just like, you're not getting it until you do that. You've got to go and spend two nights in <laughs> freezing a on a hill. Yeah, before you get your knighthood. So for his, tw- his 75th birthday in 2017, Glasgow put up three large murals in honor of him. So the three of us have been here for for a number of years now so i didn't i didn't actually know this until i was doing this research i do you know i keep hearing from i think it's probably my mom actually that there's a sort of emerging mural trail around glasgow you can sort of go and check out all these amazing murals that are painted on the side of buildings which is kind of cool well three of them are billy Connolly. i also love that he's a glasgow boy like there's something about it that right i I think the thing chris said earlier of like everyone knows a billy like you can imagine people in pubs around the city telling stories like that and i love that he's that's sort of what's defined him in a lot of ways since he's like taken over the world yeah yeah exactly and so i think that's why um recently the the glasgow evening times readers named him the greatest ever glaswegian and like (laughs) you can't you can't argue with it you're just like yeah he is like he's just I, i i think that the idea of the murals and the murals are brilliant they're worth looking up they're one of them I don't know the other two artists, but one of them is Jack Vitriano. You know that he, he, oh, really? he's incredibly famous, um, sort of pop favorite artist. of my my recently deceased grandmother's. Right. Yes, yeah. that's that's very much his um, demographic. Yeah. Uh, but he did a his <laughs> recently of, recently uh, dead. People. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Beetlejuice. <laughs> then Jack Vitriano wasn't there a load of like hatred from the art world because he. He taught himself how to draw from a sort of like how to draw people bit. Too yeah, busy, ki- too busy killing all these old fans. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I just think he made an incredible amount of money, and people were very upset by it because yeah. he didn't, he didn't wasn't yeah, classically trained or something. So, so him and two other artists did like these portraits, and then they made them into these murals around Glasgow, and they're they're cool, they're fun, they're very they capture his personality as well, which is great. So I'm excited for the next time I go home to see them, which is kind of cool. Um, Where are they in in Glasgow? What area? Don't know. One of them is, I think one of them is in Argyle Street. One of them is near, specifically near where he grew up or where he was born. So like Anderton area. Um, And I don't remember where the third one is. And I could have also got those previous two wrong as well. So (laughs) you could have just said it. You could have just said anything. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you where they are. I've found, I've found them. Found them. Okay. One good. of them is it can be seen from uh, Old Wind off of Osborne Street. One of them is on the Gallowgate near Barrowlands, uh, and one of them is at Dixon Street near the Saint Enoch Square. Oh, that all makes sense. I'll check yeah. out. Yeah, and they're great. They're very much worth a look. I, I only looked them up online myself, but if you get a chance to visit them, which I will be doing when I go home, it'll be good to see. Look, I've inevitably forgotten something because he is this like comedian, musician, writer, travel documentarian, actor. He was in TV shows in America, like all that sort of thing. But the main thing, like he was a comedian. He was funny right down to his bones. I would just say, like, go and go and look up his stand up. Get it. There's some on Spotify. There's DVDs. Obviously, there's stuff online. Like it's just incredibly funny. What are you, you guys' thoughts? Any, I mean, any guess last thoughts on on Billy? Yeah, I think you're right. It's like he's sort of a force of nature in a way. Like the amount of energy he has doing stand ups and things like that is just unbelievable and unmatched. But in recent years, he's done a lot of those things, like documentaries and things. And I think it's really telling about how funny he is inherently because he's he's talking about very normal things or like touring Scotland, and he just can't help himself. He's just naturally yeah. a really funny human being. And and I actually think those. A really lovely moments where you see like it's not all just purely an act it's like he's just a funny person and like that comes across in a lot yeah. of what he does i think so one of the the sh- like revolutionary things that's happened the past like year or so is that he has released a book of his comedy whereas before it was always just about his life because he never wrote anything down mm. um and and it would frustrate so many other comedians he was like no i wouldn't sit down every time i tried to sit down and write something it'd be shit his wife would talk about how he'd be backstage being like, what the fuck am I going to say? Like, what am I going to say to these people? And then we'd go on and literally talk about his day or something that they'd done last week. And it was just painfully funny. Mm. Like, it's just what he was. Chris, what are your thoughts? I always appreciate a Scotsman, or Brit, or a Scotsman in particular, who manages to crack America. And uh, especially someone Mm. like him who has a relatively... um, I would say a pretty thick Scottish accent and not exactly the easiest to understand. I think even if you don't necessarily understand what he's saying all the time, his humor and the way that he says it just shines through. He's just such a great ambassador for our country. And, you know, if we ever do get round to doing like the greatest Scotsman list, I know we did A to Z of our inventions, but like hmm. he's he's going to be he's right up at the top i mean he's and it oh, yeah. and it's just been it has been lovely just listening to you rory just like yeah. no i i know you've you've been waxing lyrical but you can just tell how important he is to you oh yeah 
it's just nice to have that little love letter occasionally to someone and yeah happy happy birthday to him and yeah, happy um, birthday yeah i i hope uh i hope he sticks around for a little while longer yeah it's kind of inspired me to go and find some more of his stuff and and mm. uh and reacquaint myself with a lot of his uh, old routines and things like that as well because it's just infectious yeah oh yeah i think i think that's it like he's the covid of comedians <laughs> <laughs> think very very much so and i i i totally you know i get what your mum was saying when um you know she came out with mascara running down her face and and her jaws hurting like i saw him perform live once at the what is the the like um the like glasgow opera house but it's, it's not an opera house what is the the what is the, the armadillo the armadillo that's it i saw him perform at the armadillo and coming out of it just so happy but in pain that i'd mm. been laughing so much i mean my mascara was running as well but that was for different reasons <laughs> so your your uh experience of seeing your hero live went slightly better than me going to the o2 and seeing andy murray get crushed by roger federer in 45 minutes <laughs> yes yes okay. i think so okay i think so you got to pick your heroes better dream shattered that night <laughs> don't choose sport yeah. <laughs> no, not Scottish sportsman. Pick, Although we should pick. shout out the football team tonight because we finally, yes. after oh, yeah. 22 years of waiting, made it back to a major tournament. Amazing. Yes. Well done, lads. Well, look, I mean, I think that's it. All right. Happy birthday, Billy. And this will do, lads. This will do nicely. I've thought a great deal about what I should say to you and how I should conduct myself tonight in front of you. <laughs> and it's, it's been a real problem for me. Because usually I, 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 um, I relax into the more profane language very early yes. in the game. So I think I could do it quick and relax. Fuck this! <laughs> so, oh, that's much better. I think like a quick belt in the banjo. Oh, fuck! Right, now that we're at home, I thought it would be nice. I, I can hardly sort of... Uh, it's because I come from a, from a place where people... I swear, I've sworn all my life. You see, I, I swear, like, all the time. And I, and I think it's rather good language. People say it's, it's, a, it's a limited vocabulary. It makes you swear. Well, I don't think so. See, and uh, because my vocabulary... I know at least, oh, my God, about 127 words. <laughs> and I still prefer fuck. found the English equivalent for fuck off. <laughs> and, and it isn't go away. Because go away kind of dissipates, doesn't it? Goes, go away. <laughs> so go away, shoo. Shoo. Go away, go away. There's no conscience like, fuck off. <laughs> works, you know. And you never read fuck off, he hinted. <laughs> so what well, I thought I'd tell you, in case <laughs> in case you want to ask me something, <laughs> I bet you don't know. <laughs> now that 
think you know the answer. Thanks for listening, everybody. Just a couple more things. Please don't forget to subscribe and review the podcast on iTunes and Spotify and all other podcasting apps. You can email us at thisldonicelypod at gmail.com. Visit the website thisldonicelypod.com. Visit us on Twitter at thisldopod. All original music in this podcast is written and performed by our very own Johnny Naismith. Please like and subscribe to his YouTube channel and follow him on Instagram at J-A-W underscore K-N-E-E underscore loves hugs and kisses from the Thistle Do Nicely pod.